This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes your valuable home is for you the project replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble free your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors the college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home what to look for in replacement windows how to borrow sensibly against home equity and more college teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune their suggestions are great for roi it's time for your valuable home Kev, what's the replay for today? I'll tell you, we got a great one. We got a great pack show today. Uh, we're going to start off with a replay. That's a job coming up. And it's been great because all my people that I've been dealing with, my customers have been so patient and we're finally starting to get back on schedule. Everything's getting caught up on our end. And now we're going to jump because this job is going to be a big one. It's going to be a full kitchen, fireplace, new powder room, tire flooring. So we have Mike to come on the show and talk about it. And thanks for having me, Kevin. First question I always ask everybody is, what was the main decision on why you wanted to do this? I ask myself that every day now. (laughs) Our kitchen is clearly dated. It's been something that we've been considering for quite a few years. And I was always of the mindset that if you're going to do something, let's do it right. As luck would turn out, a prior customer and, and partner with Kevin, who has the same layout as we do, did a very similar project. And my wife showed it to me thinking I'd be like, no way. And I was like, yes way, let's do that. That is awesome. And really what it's gonna do is it's going to transform our 30-year-old house to look like basically a brand new house, at least on the downstairs. Yeah, the open floor plan is what we're gonna be doing. So you have structurals? No, the walls that were taken out are non-bearing. So that's why it makes it so much more easy for us as a contractor because it's there's no load carry. Makes it easier for the homeowner too, yeah. So, but what this does is what he talks about being a newer house is that everybody loves the open floor plan. So when you walk in from the garage, which most people do because that's where he's parking, uh, it's an eat part kitchen. You step up. The kitchen's there as you're walking down towards gotcha. the kitchen to the yeah. family room. But there's a powder room and a – is it a closet or office that's behind the powder room? It's a, it's a large utility closet. So that is going away, and it's going to be just one big open room from the kitchen to the far end of the house, which will be the family room. It sounds like my house. My house is like that. Correct. You walk in the door, you're in the kitchen, you can see right right outside in the back. So that's yeah. what we're going to be doing. But yeah, we had a few jobs that we did recently of that, and uh, the one we just completed just recently, he did not do that. And I'm not going to mention his name because we were going back and forth for the probably like a six-month ban before we started saying, are you sure you want to do this? And he said, no, no, we want to keep inside the, the envelope. We don't want to take the existing powder room out and move it. And uh, so he decided to stay with it. And, uh, of course, my former Dave was given a little bit of uh, agony about saying, you really should have did it because it really wasn't that much more money uh, to do it this way. <laughs> 
So, I, look, Mike and I talked a bunch of times. It's all about the value. Everything that I like to tell people is getting the best value for it. I mean, anybody can do anything. You can always spend a lot of money. But imagine that great look with spending a lot less money. Do you agree with me? Yeah, absolutely. I would. <laughs> hey, I, hey, I've been financed, and yes, I don't like spending a lot of money if I don't have to. And talking about value, the small value for me personally is we're, we're converting a, a living room, which gets used seldomly into a first floor office that will actually have a door that locks, which is my favorite part of this whole process. <laughs> yeah, well, living rooms, I don't even know what they are anymore. Yeah, who uses a living room anymore? I mean, I use mine because mine's not, it's, it's, mine's like a great room. It's connected to the dining room and there are no walls or anything. But in the classic house, center of the whole colonial, it's boxed off, everything's a everything, box. Yep. Who uses it? Nobody. No, you know, always one thing that we talk about with a lot of the homeowners is that I, I tell them to do this because I said, listen, even if you're going to live here for 10 years, think about this. Who's going to be buying your house? So it's probably going to be a younger couple, kids. They want that they want, they $2 want million open, space, open spaces, yeah. Right. They Absolutely. see it in the big homes, yeah. but you can't, yeah. say, afford a $2, 3000000 million house. But what he's doing is generating a better resale because this kitchen is now open up. And we're just kind of strategically placing a powder room inside an existing closet. It's a hall closet. What's the style of the house? Exterior. Center Hall Colonial. Like would you say? That's right. Yep. Center Hall Colonial. Okay. So it had that colonial look. It was box boxes inside the house. Correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah, correct. The only thing would be right. the downside, but we're gaining more of it is the, the closet inside the hallway where you walk in next to the steps is going to be the powder room. But the office that he's talking about is going to have closets, a lot of closets. So because it's, again, it's a wasted space, a lot of the areas. So why don't I utilize yeah, sure. certain areas? And his Absolutely. office is going to be there. So he's going to be loving it. So Mike, why don't we walk through some of the other things you're going to be doing in the house? Sure. So we had a gas log set fireplace that happened to go bad around the time of the pandemic, just in time to be home a lot. So we're going to be not only replacing that, but elevating the fireplace and creating kind of a facade of stone that it'll, in essence, come out of. We're going to be changing out all the windows and in that big family room area. So it's going to look really clean and modern. In the kitchen itself, we're ripping out a half wall as well as an entire island. And we're going to create a much larger island going the other direction. Right now, got limited appliances in terms of oven space and cooktop. And we're going to have a much greater area and a much more enjoyable kitchen to work and prep and entertain in. Yeah, that's going to be the nice part. You said it, enjoy the kitchen. Well, that's why you're really doing things to enjoy it. I mean, anybody can just do yeah. anything, but it's just well, it's such sure. a focal point in the house, too. I mean, when you get people come over, a lot of people just never leave the kitchen. You know, they stand there, drink their beer, do whatever they do, and they're in the kitchen. So you want your kitchen to be in my house. When I do my kitchen overall, I want my kitchen to look really, really good because it's the first thing you see when you walk in the door. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also family. You got to look at family because uh, kids. The functionality. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Mornings where you're getting off the school, the kids are great. They're at the island. You don't have to worry about going to another area or you're right there confined inside Mm -hmm. the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we're designing most of the kitchens today. We're staying inside the envelope of that kitchen. But again, if you can take some walls that that are not bearing, that's not a big impact and a big cost expense, you might as well do and put the bigger kitchen in. Let alone that, if you're at the kitchen, you're sitting at the one part of the island, you can see into the family room. So it's a connection, an extension of that room so it, it looks so much bigger now with the fireplace you could put the tv there so it's much entertaining yeah it's better. the same space but opened up so that it gives the, the impression of more volume it does yeah it does prepping into this mike what was something that uh, you could give our listeners some good advice 
uh, as you walk through this process of ordering all the material? Some of the biggest things is listening to your contractor, right? Making sure you've got reputable providers for the varying things that you're buying. So in this case, cabinetry, uh, making sure you have someone that can be worked with and who's reliable. Appliances, those are obviously a couple of the key ones. And we listen to Kevin and, and company and in terms of who they recommended. Now, we happen to have a very trusted provider for floors who we're also going to use, and he is fit into this whole plan seamlessly. The final thing is, you know, as we're still in a, in a strained, quote-unquote, strained supply chain environment, it's pack your patience, right? It's not all going to work the first time the, the way you want. I'm a planner. I understand that at this point, you may have the best laid plans, and then something gets delayed because, who knows, fill in the blank. And it's just how can you pivot and change your plan and, you know, mentally just prepare for that as as someone who's pursuing a major project like this moving forward. There is a lot of moving parts for this kitchen. And with being in the kitchen beside me, the whole project, uh, there's so many things that I got to make sure I incorporate that everything's ready to go and in place. And even if it's not, like we have to order windows and it was a custom window. So uh, what windows do we decide to go with for the windows and doors in the back of the house? We went with an expanded window size over our sink, uh, as well as a, as a new slider. We're bigger than before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going with the the, uh, the black framing, so it's a more modern look, without being over the top. And then we've got a bay window right now that we're going to uh, install three three windows there as well. Yeah, we're using the Provia Aris windows. It's black on black. It's the first time I'm ever doing it. I am so excited to put these windows in. Black on black. How does, black how does inside, work? black outside. Oh, black outside. Okay. Yeah, All this right, is cool. something I've never cool. done before, and I, it's a it, unbelievable. What's the name look. of the window again? It's the Provia. Uh, yeah, the Provia Aris window. It? Okay. Uh, it's the wood interior. It's This, this is the utmost enchalant window that you can put in. And I've never done a black on black. Now, I've done black interiors before with white exterior. And then my house is the opposite. I have a black outside, white interior, but I never got a chance to do a black on black. So I'm really looking forward to it. So you to didn't want to do the black on black? No, I, well. In, in your own house? <laughs> my wife had some say into it, so I did ask her. So you did what you wanted to do? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's how we, that, that's, usually everything else. that's usually the way it works. So I'm like, who's which, making which, which is also which is also how we got to black and black in my house. <laughs> <laughs> it's the wife rule. The wife rule. Happy wife, happy life. Yeah, we when we were there talking about it, and I said, now because it is their most top of the line window that you can possibly buy, but it's a look. And his wife said, I, it's the look I want, and I really wanted to go that route because of how it's going to look. It's something different, but it's something so future that everybody's everybody's going into this. I, I think the last. Probably nine out of ten jobs are somehow black is involved into the job and or the windows. Well, you drive around today, drive through the suburbs here, over here in Jersey or mm-hmm. in, in our area, and you see a lot of it. A lot, there's a lot of white houses with black windows. Windows, absolutely. That's like like a trend right now. So, but his front door is black, and with the siding being newer on the house already, it's just changing to a, a style that's continuation because the windows are still the original windows is that right mike they're the most of them are the original that's right we have a nice beige uh vinyl siding and black shutters and black doors so sounds from cool. an accent perspective it's it's gonna look really nice yeah it sounds very cool yeah we're looking forward to this so it's getting finally close are there a lot of a lot of uh, exterior renovations in your development 
<laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> there are? Um, yeah, there, there was quite a wave. If you talk about exterior, you know, everyone's roof and siding seemed to go at about the same time. The, the neighborhood's about 30 years old, so the mm-hmm. wave started about 10 years ago, yep. and it's mostly complete, but um, there's still a few holdouts at this point. But your, your house should still pretty much stand out in that development, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we did the remodel, I can't tell you how many times, the exterior remodel that is, I, I can't tell you how many times we got compliments and people just walking walking by uh, as I'm walking the dog or pulling some weeds or what, what have you. And uh, there have been a few uh, duplicates of our color scheme. So uh, we, we feel like we did all right if uh, people are using it for their own templates. Yeah. would say so. Sounds like it's... It's it's a hit. Yeah, it's a trend going to the inside now mm-hmm. with the kitchens because we've done one, actually it'll be the third one now uh, that we did, we're ripping everything out and redoing it. But I've done so many kitchens in this development. So it's nice when you're picking a contractor because I always tell people, listen, there's got to be a reason why somebody's been in a development for 15 years just doing referrals without advertising. It's because if you get a good price, good service, you roll that in. And that's This is to all my contractors. If you can do that from the beginning, you're going to be in business a very long time. Sure. And it's just take care of the homeowner. You just got to be able to do that and walk with them. But, you know, as we talked prior, I'm all about the value. So it is unbelievable what this house is going to change into. And uh, we're going to get into detail more about, like, say, the square lights, which we'll bring up on the next show. Uh, and just trying to find out where the best budget is to get this project rolling uh, when we do get it started. And uh, we'll walk our listeners through what you're going through. And uh, we appreciate your time here. You put us in with your, your Valuable Home podcast, and we're looking forward to getting you started. That's fantastic. Thanks for having me. Michael, and thank more you. More importantly, looking forward to the work. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. We'll talk soon. All right, Kev, we got another horror story to talk about today, another horror story to cue people in on, and so it doesn't happen to them. What is it? Well, you know what it is? It's nice to get to talk to people, and this is what I always tell people. Contact us at the show so I can at least give you the best information, but this is where homeowners already signed contracts with a contractor, and this one was a little bit of a doozy because they said the price uh, that they got was a very good price from the beginning, and now they're knee-deep into it. Now the price has tripled, and they said, why is that? And I said, the reason why is because contractors are allowed to do that. How about that one? By law, they can do that. So here in the state of Pennsylvania where this happened, they were saying, hey, I had a kitchen done, and they're, they're walking through the process, and I said, Give me the first reason why you chose this contractor, because he was so cheap. Yeah, that's a bad reason. And I said, well, if that's the only if that's the only reason. That's a huge. That's a problem. Bad reason. Yeah. It is a big, big problem because even if I come in and say, "Hey, I'm going to be cheaper than anybody else," if you don't ask certain questions and have them put it in the contract, you as the homeowner can get taken. Now, what that means, let's just say you have a contractor, three of them, you bid out. One's thirty thousand, one's twenty nine thousand, one's fifteen thousand, and. Say there's a part of it, it's a bearing wall being taken out. But he says, oh, the bearing wall is included in this, but you don't ask the right questions. You start the project and you sign with them. And you get project creep and project creep means project cost increases. Right. So what happens is they start ripping it out. It's completely gutted. Now you're knee deep into the job with this contractor because this contractor has to finish. And what he'll do in the state of Pennsylvania, which is by law, he will say, oh, well, listen, this is not what was projected for us to do in the contract. So what we'll need to do is make certain adjustments. Now, maybe if there is a little bit of adjustment, it could be $1,000. He can turn around and say, it's $15,000 and present it in writing to you and say, this is a $15,000 fix for us to keep going. Well, you're stuck at this point because you've signed with the contractor. Everything's ripped out. You gave him a large sum of money. 
So at that point, you've got to pay. Now, I don't think that's a great law to have. But again, you've got to know what you're signing. You've got to ask the right questions because everybody I talk to, and this is, again, we've got plenty more of these horror stories. Homeowners think they know what they're asking. And then after about five minutes talking to them, oh, we don't know. Was that included? I'm like, well, I don't know. It's part of the contract. But if you don't ask those questions ahead of time, they can get the gotcha and just overcharge you based upon that. Next thing you know, you're more money than the original contractors that you were going to use that knew what they were doing. Well, we talk a lot about this in a show that we dropped last week where you and I talked about what should be in a contract and how to prevent gotchas in a contract, how to pick a contractor. So if you hadn't heard that podcast, I would go back and take a listen to that because there's a lot of good information. Good information, but that's not all of it. There is so much more involved. And as more and more I do this, I always tell people, listen, you know, being a good contractor is easy for me. I've been very blessed to be able to do this. And I have Dave with me the whole time. So we've built a team up that's great. The hardest thing for me to do as this podcast is finding out what these bad contractors are doing so I can educate myself to tell these listeners, here's what you got to look out for. Right. I don't do this to people. This is one thing you don't do because if you've been in business for as long as I have, you're doing something right. And if you have a backlog that's a year in advance at all times, you're doing something right. Mm -hmm. I give a fair price. Look, I'm not going to be able to retire off this anytime soon, but when people refer me, they're saying he gives a fair price. He does not nickel and dime you. If you want some additional work and he puts it on there, it's very reasonable. Because when you do that and you say you're going to do what you're going to do, people refer you. Think about it. Yeah, I mean, it gets down to being honest and being competent at what you do. And if pe- people appreciate that stuff, they really do. Because there's so much of it, that the reverse is happening today. Mm-hmm. You know, where people, a lot of people don't care what, what they do anymore. Not there, just in contracting, across the board. Yeah, I, which I agree with you. But So it's a rare thing to find when you find a good person. That it is. We were told we were an anomaly, and I said, hey, thank you, but I'm just some guy that just wants to show up and work and give you the right job. And that was my motto when I started the company, but it's trying to find out how bad these contractors are and what they're doing to be able to scam you to get to sell the contract. Right. Now, what I'm seeing more is that these contractors that started during COVID, because it was so popular demand of everybody trying to get jobs done is that they came in, try to charge as much as they can because homeowners wanted it done right away. So they're charging an arm and a leg an enormous amount of money. Now the problems are arising because of all the mistakes they made. Well, they're out of business now. So how are you going back to them? And again, it's not so much where you can go back to them and sue them because it's going to be difficult because based upon that, it's a lot of poor workmanship. You cannot claim like insurance or go back because you have poor workmanship. Poor workmanship is something you have to deal with because you chose the contractor. You not know. only that, but I mean, if you sue them, you're going to spend a lot of money on an attorney and probably just spin wheels. Well, and I was in watching who my attorney's uh, actually the judge of the township I live in. And I was in the courtroom the one time and he turned around and said, well, you're the one that hired him. You don't like the workmanship. That's your problem. As long as it's meeting up the code. And I just wanted to see what a lot of these judges are saying. They're basically, if it's no criminal act was committed, you just paid them because the workmanship was not great. Well, you hired them. So there's got to be more laws that go in to be able to protect the homeowner because when you're hiring somebody, how do you know? And I tell you, I love to have to just homeowners. Why don't you just write to me and let's talk. I would love to have a homeowner just come on and talk about it anywhere in the country. What are you going to be doing? Let me start asking you questions. Because everybody that I talked to in probably in the last 20 years, yeah, listen, we know what we're doing. I'm like, well, let me ask you some questions. And it just About how the job is done. It just happened this past uh, few days ago. My wife and I were out at a a gathering of uh, some friends. And they said, hey, look, we're having some work done. It's been a nightmare and supply chain issues. And I said, well, listen, you're, you're getting this done. You're this far into it. Was the roof installed correctly? Oh, yeah. Well, 
Did they drop the ice shield below since it's new construction? Oh, I don't know. They're, they're not well, what know. about the windows? Most, no, they were done right. Most people couldn't ask that. So I'm looking at the pictures. Like, well, this isn't done right. This is done wrong. This is going to have a problem in two to five years if that window fails, which most likely they do. And you didn't protect it by putting the flashing down correctly. They're like, you serious? I'm like, absolutely. You ever hear of stucco problems? Well, that stucco problem is because the windows weren't flashed correctly on a majority of the cases. Now you're going to have that issue down the line. So you're going to be crossing your fingers going, oh, I hope it doesn't happen to me. Could have issue with rot of the OSB around the window. There is so much in involved into a contract and estimate and during the work getting done that I love talking to these so-called experts. Most of them are like, wow, I, I never thought of that. So if you're an expert and you never thought of that, maybe you're not an expert and you should not be doing what you're doing. Listen, I'm not a doctor because I don't perform surgeries, but I, I got tools that can cut people open. But is it the right thing? Is it going to hurt the homeowner? Well, yeah, absolutely. So what I look at is I do things that I know I'm good at and I know that what I can do because it's been doing it so long, but it's how do I educate homeowners to be able to look past a lot of these scams that they're doing and do what I say to get to that ultimate point is being happy with the contractor that you've worked on. If you look here in the state of Pennsylvania where I actually know how many contractors are being registered, we're in hundreds of thousands. Last I seen it was at 180,000 contractors. Probably 50,000 came about during the, the COVID, past, COVID absolutely. situation. Absolutely. A lot of the social media fees when people ask me about that, I don't badmouth anybody. That's not the job here at the show. All I'm trying to do is educate you and protect you, the homeowner, from this happening to you. We never mention names because that's the, the names really are not that important. The important thing is knowing what happened with the job and how it can be prevented. Correct. How it went wrong and how it can be prevented. And you as a homeowner are fully responsible for making that decision when you sign the, with the contractor. It's you, the homeowner, not anybody else, you, the homeowner. Because the contractor, once he pays in the state of Pennsylvania $51, puts his two fingers over his wrist and he has a pulse, he's a contractor. Now, he does have to disclose if he's had any prior lawsuits against him in the in building industry. But again, you could use your wife's name and use her social security number and use that. And next thing you know, you can still run the Bingo. company. Bingo, you're back in business. You're, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So there's so much more involved into just finding the right contractor but again, I would have any homeowner would love to come on the show and just start talking about a project. I just want to banter back and forth. Again, anybody off the street wants to contact us, I would get, love how it. How they get in touch with us? Kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. Just say you want to come on the show and talk about a project you're doing. And uh, let me just ask you some questions. So it would be a great education for our listeners to be able to understand before they sign contracts that if you do it my way and you do it right, you're going to extremely minimize any problems that you're going to have. I say, can't guarantee that's going to be no problems because, again, it comes to the scrupulous of the contractor. But if you do it and you do these elements that I tell you to do, yeah, it might cost a little bit more. But you're going to find it's going to be a lot easier. It's going to be a much better job. And you're going to be very happy with the long run at the end of the job. And stick with us because we've got a great segment coming up. We're going to be talking about steps that New Jersey is taking to build more resilience into basically everything that's in the state and be able to withstand the effects of severe climate change going forward. And we're going to do that with an old friend of Your Valuable Home, Carter Van Dyke. He's a landscape architect. He's very involved in this effort in New Jersey. So stick with us. Interesting story. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. We've been telling our listeners about Provia entry doors and windows, but there's a lot more to Provia, right, Kev? Yeah, you bet. Provia is your one source for professional class entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and incredible metal roofing. In fact, Provia makes all the product you need to create the perfect home exterior. They do it all the Provia way, the professional way. Hey, Kev, didn't you just use Provia siding and doors on your home? Yep, the look of my siding and doors have landed me a ton of work. Okay, so what sold you on Provia vinyl siding? 
siding. The same that sells my customers. Provia Siding Reflex Heat protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup that ensures long-lasting color. Then there's a range of traditional, insulated, and decorative siding profiles, all with the look and feel of real wood. And a selection of now colors, including dark and bold hues. So, what's your take on Provia manufactured stone? The molds of Provia stone are created from natural stones, giving it a quarried stone look with a great range of shapes and sizes. Customers love them, and the 10 choices of color palettes, Provia stone goes with any environment. To see how Provia siding and stone combine to create the Provia perfect exterior with great curb appeal, visit Provia.com. Click on Designer Collections under the Design It tab. All right, Ron, now it's time for the feature segment. And again, another friend of the show is coming back on for this segment. We'll let you know who that is in a second. But let me tell you first, all of our New Jersey listeners, and there are thousands of them out there, as we all know, right, should be interested in this interview about how New Jersey is staying ahead of climate change and the havoc it can cause. In fact, all of our listeners in coastal states on the eastern seaboard, the Gulf area, and the west coast, that would be California, should be interested in the changes New Jersey has made to their municipal land use law to factor climate change into municipal master planning. Brilliant stuff. Here to fill us in is a great friend of Your Valuable Home, noted landscape architect Carter Van Dyke. Carter, welcome back to Your Valuable Home. It's great to have you on again. Thanks a lot. It's good to be here. Well, how exactly is your landscape design firm, CVDA, they're in Doylestown in Pennsylvania, Carter Van Dyke Associates, involved in this, what I would call, forward-thinking New Jersey initiative? Well, we're not just landscape architects, we're also planners, and we have a national practice, so we do a lot of work in New Jersey. We have done a lot of innovative things in New Jersey, open space planning initiatives uh, in Huntington, Mercer County, and Somerset County, uh, or areas where we've targeted a lot of our work. And that's why uh, you see, for example, because of our open space planning, things haven't changed. There are communities which you drive through in Huntington County, which are all farmland and they're all built out. And that's because of the initiatives that we've done over the years. You know, we uh, represent a small municipality as the professional planners in Millstone Borough. It's one of the smallest municipalities within the state of New Jersey. It's on the Millstone River. Imagine a community with, I think it's 160 households. It's just, it's about the size of a of a of your sort of standard land development that a development might do in in a, in a larger municipality. And so it's it's it creates its own challenges because. Every time I bill one hour to the municipality, it has a, a dollar impact on every household. <laughs> so to be very careful about the time that we spend and do things as, as judiciously as possible. Absolutely. One of the most significant changes in the, they call it the MLUL, that's the Municipal, Municipal Land, land Use, land land use right. Law, yeah, mm-hmm. is that communities now must first conduct a climate change-related hazard vulnerability assessment as part of any future master plan update. Well, it's everyone has to update their master plans to include what they now refer to as a resiliency plan. And it was something that uh, Governor Murphy uh, initiated and, and is a very forward-thinking a state legislature, which gave him the support that he needed in order to uh, put this into motion, and so it's uh, and what it what it means is that any planning, any master planning, uh, any zoning, any uh, any planning that takes place within the uh, in the state of New Jersey now has to comply with these new guidelines. Is this all a direct result of the experience that uh, New Jersey had with uh, Superstorm Sandy? I know that, that goes back a little ways, but did it have an impact on what happened here? Sandy was key. Native 
most recently was key. And of course, uh, current science that's, you know, you know looking at uh, global warming is also small. And so how do we now plan for those? And so, uh, you know, New Jersey, uh, just so you know, is the most populous state in the union. And so, you know, they're dealing with land use issues on a major scale because of the, of the population in the state of New Jersey and the amount of development that takes place. What's interesting is that New Jersey is not as developed as you might think, but regardless, it has high density areas and there's a lot of encroachment into areas where there's has uh, been uh, prior flooding, or there may be flooding, and it's both dealing with river corridors, but it's also coastal flooding because it's a it's a coastal community. And so, you know, this, the the uh, the state is looking at losing a lot of its land mass, you know, due to uh, global warming and the impact upon that. You know, it's so refreshing, so refreshing to see somebody or state do something about this. And it seems like a lot of this activity is focused on the eastern coast of the United States. We did a show not too long ago with the Pew Family Trust, and they are marshalling forces from uh, North Carolina on down into the east coast of uh, northern Florida. And uh, the p- purpose of that is to save a million acres of salt marsh. Salt marsh. The military is even involved in it because there are a lot of bases that go down the coast. So it's nice to know that things are happening in this area and people just not, you know, squabbling over is there climate change, isn't there climate change. Things are really happening. And it's going to my hat's off to you for being involved in this. Well, it's, it's an exciting time and there's a tremendous amount of energy and effort going into this. Millstone, which is part of uh, Somerset County, uh, Somerset County is maybe the most progressive uh, county for in terms of land use planning within the state of New Jersey is uh, is taking a leadership role in this. And so we're, we're working with multiple agencies from the federal level to the state level. We actually now have Action Committee. It's an accelerator program, Millstone, which is a very historic community. It's also where a lot of the Revolutionary War took place because everyone seemed to encamp there. Uh, during the Revolutionary War. But most of the long edges of the Millstone River are these historic buildings, which are right in the floodplain. And so uh, they get really badly flooded and the roads get flooded and everything else. So that's what this resiliency plan is all about. How do we address that? And how do we come up with plans to show uh, that we can address this in the future by making some, some land use changes and also some stormwater management changes? A lot of these things for Millstone Millstone is unique because it's it's a very small community. And so it's really impacted by other communities, which has no control over it. But now it suddenly it has a voice. And so it's not just Millstone, but it's also Boundbrook, other community, Riverside communities, which are all we're all banding together uh, with FEMA, the federal government and the state agencies to come up with a plan that would that help protect the river and also uh, real estate. Uh, so it's 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 very interactive. And, the, and believe me, they have done some incredible research on this thing. I was impressed, and we'll get into that with this toolkit that they developed, which is gift, they don't just leave the municipalities to their own devices in terms of how to figure this out. The state is providing a lot of guidance on it. The assessment that these communities have to come up with or municipalities have to come up with doesn't have to be accompanied by a resilience and adoption strategy to avoid or reduce or avoid risks from adverse climatic events? That's correct. Mm-hmm. And it's and so, but this toolkit they they developed is is really amazing because it it deals with all different levels and it's all it's interactive, and it's something that uh, anyone can go online and take a look at. So that's 
And it's so there's all this knowledge that municipalities can use. And it's interesting for Millstown, which does not have a lot of resources, but it's really geared both for small municipalities and large municipalities. And all this, a lot of this work is done. So it's really just flipping and and putting all that information together so you can, um, you know, make, uh, come up with an assessment. One of the things that they, uh, they ask you to do is look at, well, you know, let's look at a, you know, let's take a look at the toolkit and and look at uh, what are your threats and your hazards. Uh, Look what, uh, like, what, what, what would the build-out be, look like if you were to build out the entire community based upon your current zoning? And what hazards would we face if we do that? What steps do you have in place now to offset you know, any, any issues of pollution or, 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 or heat retention or flooding or things of this nature? Uh, what are the capabilities? And so, and so first thing is, is we look at sort of a, a no-action scenario. That's just based upon what we have. And then look at it built out and then look at what the impact is going to be. And then based upon that, uh, then we go into the toolkit and start looking at, um, you know, we sort of ask ourselves, you know, when we see these impacts, are these the impacts that we want? Do we want to build in areas where we're going to have flooding? Uh, do we want to have, have roads that, uh, that are no longer accessible during, in a case of a fire or an emergency? Do we want to have school districts our schools and our hospitals located, which are not accessible during a flood, you know, something like this, so that, you know, we begin to rethink and replan exactly how these communities are going to are, are going to function in the in light of a uh, of a catastrophic event. So we've never looked at things at, at, at planning this way before. You know, we've now we're looking at uh, at how we mitigate and and uh, you know the impact of these storms upon our development and our, our natural infrastructure because long-term it's a lot cheaper to plan in advance than, than have to rebuild after the fact. <laughs> so, well, it so seems like a lot of America did that from the beginning years ago is that they didn't plan for this, this super advancement. More homes that you put in, more development you put in, it's going to be less pervious surface. Well, so not only that, that but gonna... if, if the homes aren't there, it's like Arizona. If the homes weren't there, you wouldn't have a problem, you know, with water. Right. You know, so now that you have this, so it's just seen for the future. And I know they've been working on it for years with being in the building industry, making certain changes that are going to be set for the future, like raising homes. So if you can build, there's right. a certain level that you need to build at because they know that these sure. are problems. But, yeah, when you keep right. building and building and building, we're going to run out of land if you just keep building homes everywhere. I know it's been better with – uh, regenerating the water that you build in properties that you got to keep it on your land. Mm-hmm. But even still, you're still creating roads. You're still creating parking lots. You're still creating all this. It's creating a less of the impervious surface. So we've got to be able to manage that much better. And I see where they're going with Yeah, this. I think this is that's all part of it, right, Carter? Yeah, and we're also looking at the holding capacity of the land. I mean, there are certain areas, you know, for example, on the Jersey coast where, you know, we've, we've tapped into our, our aquifer uh, and we're exceeding the capacity of the aquifer. So now we're getting you know, salt infiltration. How do we deal with that? You know, is it something we, we want to deal with um, and come up with a desalination plants? And can we afford to do that, you know, with with energy resources we're trying to to, to mitigate and to minimize these days? So it's, it's really, you know, it gets back to over 50 years ago, uh, Ian McCarg, a great landscape architect, developed a book called Design with Nature. And uh, he said, you know, nature is always going to win. So we really have to design around nature and not think that we can combat it all the time. 
And that's what this this philosophy and this thinking has done. He really changed the thinking of, of, of planning, but there's a lot of old planning before that that took place. And this is where we have these issues. And so how we recreate this. One of the things that uh, FEMA is, is, is suggesting as part of this resiliency plan is that maybe they're just, they're just communities where we have to go in and we just buy all the houses. It's cheaper in the long run to buy the houses and, and, and reclaim the watershed and uh, allow it to become a, a flooded area. And uh, certainly they do this in Europe uh, in, in major cities. And they're doing it, uh, you know, in Germany to, to a great extent. Uh, and so, <clears throat> and the ones who are really super at this, of course, the Dutch. But uh, but this is something that's new here in this country because we've always had so much land. We've always taken everything for granted. But now, you know, given global warming and the and the and the rise of the of the uh, of, of the oceans and these these catastrophic storms we have, you know, where you get six, seven, eight, nine inches of rain in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a number of hours. We've never had this before. It's happening now all over the world. You heard, you know, recently yep. on, on the paper what's happened in, in, uh, in Pakistan, you know, where, the, where one third of the country has been flooded and, and it's and have a huge impact upon their agriculture. So it's, um, it's, it's it's this is this is unfortunately the new normal. It's but this resiliency plan not only deals with flooding, but it also does with heat. Uh, you know, more people die from from excessive heat than anything else, more so than than flooding. And so, part of this this program is also dealing with with maintaining our woodlands and the uh, and this 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 toolkit and uh, you know information they have. It also looks at looks at our uh, our woodlands. Which is really key, and, and it begins to assess, you know, where, the, where there might be beetles that are affecting the pines, the pine trees, or the emerald ash borer affecting forests, and where you have to start looking now proactively, and start reforesting some of our forests in order to offset global warming and capture, uh, you know, our, our uh, as much carbon as possible. So this this is all science driven, and it's really looking at how we can nurture in our uh, this portion of the planet. To uh, to offset the uh, the global warming that we have right now. Well, I have two it's, quick questions for you that were raised by two points that you made. Number one, um, the um, the incursion of, of uh, uh, salt water into mm-hmm. the interior of a state isn't that causing something called the ghost forest, where it just destroys all the trees in its path? Uh, the uh, well, that's what you're talking about. That is that's from. Um, over pumping the uh, the aquifer and the aquifer is down really deep, so that doesn't affect the, the okay. trees. Right. There are there are other things affecting the trees. And, and the other point you made has New Jersey looked to other countries. I mean, my favorite to go to all the time in terms of uh, uh, being able to protect itself against the sea and being able to use Mother Nature to power things is Holland. Mm-hmm. Have they looked at, at countries like Holland overseas to you know for answers? I haven't seen that in the. Uh, in, in the, uh, the toolkit, and there's, there's something called the NJ Adapt. It's a suite of online tools to assist in development assessment and developing strategies. Anyone can go onto it, and it has it's it's, it's GIS. It's interactive. It, you can actually look at your 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 right down to your individual parcel, but you know, you, you know the impact upon your municipality on a on a number of things, both 
both in terms of flooding. Um, there's a municipal snapshot that will tell you about, you know, even to the degree of, of uh, communities where, uh, where, there, where, where English may not be the, uh, the prime language. And so where we have to look at other, other languages in order to educate people about global warming and what we have to do to adapt. I mean, it's very sophisticated. And there's also a, uh, something which deals with, uh, you know, the forests and the, for, the forest adapt section, which tells you where the, the, the stresses are on the forests here within the state of New Jersey. It's, it's really fascinating. I, I really encourage the, um, the public to take a look at that because you'll find it's fascinating. A great and, it's absolutely and also, I should mention this whole resiliency program and this, uh, this accelerator program that's initiated by FEMA is very interactive. It requires a lot of public participation. So I, uh, I encourage, you know, individuals who are interested to take a look at this and become and become active participants. And you can become an active participant in this because it's going to have a lot to do with what your future is going to be for your, your community. In the region, it's it's a it's 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 a it's a big deal. Can you point out maybe one or two uh, positive changes communities have made in New Jersey to comply with the amended um, municipal language use law? Well, first of all, I have to say this is this is all new. Um, we're we're just we're just starting it right now, and we're, and and that's why we're starting it. The uh, this uh, accelerated program is really being initiated first in uh, in Somerset County because they're the most progressive, and so we're learning a lot both in terms of uh, small communities like Millstone and large communities within within the uh, the county. But there are things that, that FEMA has done historically, and they're using as examples, uh, such as uh, certainly you, you can raise raise structures. You know that applies to maybe historic structures, uh, so they're above the floodplain. So that mitigates the, the flooding impact, but it doesn't necessarily mitigate the impact upon the infrastructure or, or, or help in terms of access. If someone's in a home, they might be up eight or 10 feet above the floodplain, above the ground, so at least the house doesn't get flooded. But if there's a problem there, they can only be accessed by boat. You know? So those are things we have to take a look at. And what... What's happening in a number of communities that FEMA is using as examples of is they're they're going in and they're purchasing entire neighborhoods and and reverting it all to uh, to natural land that will absorb the uh, the flooded areas. Uh, we're also uh, revisiting how we do stormwater management. Stormwater management in the past, it, it is big detention basins only really handled um, the uh, the large storms, the the, the two year storm, which is which consists of about 95 percent of all storms would just pass through and it creates a lot of damage a lot of flooding and so they're looking now to redesign and, and repurpose these detention basins so that they can actually be really effective and recharge the water into the groundwater table as opposed to just charging it into the stream and stream corridor which we don't have the capacity for anymore I spent a lot of time with the, it's called NJ Adapt, right? The suite of online tools. That's correct, yeah. Okay, Is NJ Adapt. fascinating? Yeah. I thought it was fascinating. And we have, we have listeners across the country, a lot in coastal states, California, Texas, South Carolina, North Carolina. I think it would be interesting if, if we can reach some influential people in those states. Can you explain the tools? Just give us a brief explanation. Of, can you explain, for instance, uh, the New Jersey flood mapper, which I thought was fascinating? 
it's GIS, it's interactive, it's very easy to use, and you can se select many, many layers, but it's, it's also can deal with time frames. It can tell you if there's a, if there's a, if there's a, uh, a rainstorm within your within your community. How long it's going to take for your your community to become flooded? Um, but it also has maps of the flood events, uh, which which is projecting for 2030, 2050, you know, based upon global warming. So you can see uh, how the rise in the sea is going to have a real impact upon your community, and how the things you have to do. Um, the uh, <clears throat> So it's, it's and so it's it's dealing with both rivers and the coastline, and right now the the uh, the accelerator program is dealing first with uh, with with uh, with rivers, and then I know the next step they're looking at they're really uh, focusing on the coastline. The coastline is really complicated because there's so many communities which are so vulnerable, and so it's it, but but this New Jersey flood mapper begins to show you what that impact is going to be and it's it's and it's 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 daunting uh we uh, also do work in delaware i know that uh, delaware is looking to lose you ready for this 15 percent of its land mass wow that's yep. that's that's a devastating statistic yep so uh it's so those are things so there's 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 barrier islands you know along delaware where they know that all those houses have to go, and even now during uh, during lunar high tides, the roads out to those burial burial islands are flooded. You know, so that it's it's already happening. I, I mean, it's it's happening now. So it, these are things that we have to begin to look at proactively and come up with new solutions. Well, I've seen it happen, and I've been going down the Outer Banks of North Carolina since '81. And I'll tell you, the uh, the coast down there with the houses has changed dramatically, um, just mm -hmm. basically in the last ten years. I mean, houses are no longer there, and yep. um, I've seen what the ocean can do down there. So, it's good to know that somebody's thinking about this stuff. There's there there are three tools in this toolkit. The next one is the municipal snapshot tool, which I thought yeah, was fascinating was, too. Yeah, that one's really cool. It. Uh, you could choose your county or your municipality, or and um, and develop a report, and so it'll give you your uh, your flood exposure and all, but and and the, and the impact upon your infrastructure. You know, you know, look what just happened down down south. You know, where they uh, they lost their entire water. You know, and so this will tell you, you know, how how, uh, how fragile your 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 potable water system might be, or your sewage treatment plant might be. Uh, the impact upon schools, hospitals, uh, nursing homes, and tell you where, where there might be vulnerable populations, people who are living in much riskier areas. It, it will even talk about people who, because of their income, may not have cars and cannot uh, escape if they're in a, in a flood-prone area. So lack of vehicular accessibility or, or lack of uh, language. You know, don't, English is not their first language. I mean, it's it's fascinating all the different angles it begins to take a look at because, you know, as we say in our practice, the only way you can solve a problem is to identify identify a problem, and this GIS mechanism uh, is very very complete and it begins to have you uh, really look at things and land use in a whole different different format. It's it's real exciting. Yeah, and then I just wanted to mention that last tool. It's called New Jer New Jersey Forest Adapt too. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's 
Are they going to add to the toolbox or the these three tools, the primary tools that, that municipalities are going to have access to? Not that I know of. I think this is it for right now. Mm-hmm. There's, there's tremendous efforts going into this thing. Oh, but you know, imagine. but you know, but as as we develop more science and more information, these they're always going to be updated. Okay, but uh, but uh, the, the New Jersey Forest Adapt tells you how forests are going to change because of climate change. You know, so it's uh, you know they talk about pests and disease risks and the the pine beetle borer and the emerald ash borer and. You know, it's in forest fire impact and all this type of stuff. It's it's really fascinating, and it's and it's important, I think, for for citizens to educate themselves. That they 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 just we just can't take mother mother earth for granted as we have bef- before. You know, it's 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 speaking out to us in a loud in a loud tone, and we we, we have to do we we have to take proactive action in order to uh, protect ourselves. Not only here, but across the country, too. Think proactively out in the Midwest in Tornado Alley. Think of proactively out in the West Coast with fires. You know, it's got to happen. If not, yep. you're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. You know? yep. and so it's, you know, it's interesting we mentioned about fires. You know, one thing that I think the, the uh, general public don't realize is that the uh, Native Americans, uh, they they managed all the all the forests, and then um, they did it for 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 two reasons. One is to is to prevent large fire fire for, forest fires, but two, um, the majority of the forests way back then were chestnut, and they did it so they could it's easier to collect the chestnut, but also easier to harvest deer. <laughs> so, so it was key. Um, you you may know that um, between between fourteen ninety about fifteen twenty. The uh, uh, the Native Americans, about ninety percent of the population were wiped out, both in North and South America, because of smallpox and, and other diseases that were borne by by uh, by Europeans when they came over. Mm-hmm. In the process, there was no one left to manage the forests, and so the forest filled in, and in that process, it captured so much carbon from the atmosphere. That it created in in from uh, 1540 to 1560 a a mini ice age in Europe. Never aware of that. That's amazing. How about that? So it shows you that 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 whole connection. Well, what we what we need to do in our forests in the, the forest the, the department is is learning now that it really it just can't let the forest go to seed or, or just just go on naturally. It had they really has to be managed the way the Indians did. And, you know, and you, you look at, uh, you know, Indians who go back and, and look at our, our great national parks, such as Yosemite and things like this. And they say, wow, it, it would never look like this, you know, back when the Indians managed this thing. It's just it's just overgrown and it's we're so ripe for forest fires. It's been so poorly managed over time. And these are, you know, so so, you know, with with new humil- humility, we're looking at what was done in the past and realize how brilliant it was, you know? So, and so we realize we really have to change our ways and be much more adaptive to, to nature. Making changes in the community and municipalities to bring about more resilience takes funding. Does the state provide guidance on grants, low interest loans, et cetera? Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that the, uh, the uh, accelerator program, and this is, 
And I have to say, this we're working directly with people from FEMA and DEP and, and, and a host of agencies. There's so many agencies involved with this thing. Historic, uh, the, the Office of Historic Preservation, the Office of Planning and Advocacy, um, the New Jersey Economic Development Commission. I mean, it's, 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 it's fascinating. But the, uh, they want us to first come up with a plan, but then they're also showing us that there's funding to implement the plan. They want for the for the uh, for the first steps of the plan. They would like to see uh, some effort on the municipality to, to self-fund this to show that there's that there's local support. But there's a huge amount of money that they're making us aware of, and it's in the system is in to get grants because they want this this whole program not just to be developed, but they want it to be implemented. And that's what the exciting part is. And there's now funds available, particularly now that we've got the 2022 um, Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about there's, that. There's, yep. mm-hmm. there's, 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 there's a huge amount of funds now to implement this, these new policies. And, it's, and it's, a, it, it's a really brilliant plan because by doing this thing, yes, this costs money, okay? But if we don't do it, it's going to cost many, many times more, you know, to, to – uh, to, uh, to to deal with with uh, with communities which are which are con- continually being inundated, so this is a very proactive. It's a very smart approach, and uh, and I'm very excited to be a part of it. Well, I'm going to conclude this with with two statements. New Jersey, I think well, our hats ought to be off to New Jersey. They come a leader in responding to climate change, and that's so they, they've responded to the wake up call. And I want to congratulate you for getting involved, you and your company. Uh, Carter Van Dyke Associates for getting involved in this important work. How can anybody get in touch with you if they want to know more about this, want to know more, more about your company, whatever? Well, uh, we have a website. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's cbda.com. Um, and we're planners and landscape architects. And we do uh, this kind of advocacy work, you know, all over, you know, all over the country. And we, uh, and so we uh, we do a, a lot of diverse work, you know. We're doing, but uh, anyway, people are welcome to look at our, our website, and, uh, and and see what we do. And and I'd be happy to talk to anyone if anyone wants some information on on this. I'd be glad to help them any way I can. Wonderful, Carter. Great explanation. Thank you for what you're doing. You're doing wonderful work. Well, thanks for inviting me, and good luck to everyone. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufacturing, stone and metal roofing products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship the Provia way that's this week's podcast your valuable home comes to you every week on the new pod city podcast network apple podcast and all other popular podcast directories 
If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 